again, fellow travellers, and Happy New Year, and welcome to podcast 138 in our series, You Should Have Been There, with me, Mick Webb, and me, Simon Calder, and this week's podcast will be a testing one, as requested by regular listener and contributor, Rebecca Halpern, it's our annual travel quiz, but with a difference. Yes, it's him against me, Simon against Mick, head-to-head Toe to toe, no holds barred for eight three-minute rounds. Each round is a new category, Great Railway Journeys, for instance, and we each have to try and land a punch on the other by asking a question that they can't answer. We can score naught, one for an answer with help, or two for getting it spot on, unassisted. Round one, where in the world am I? A 360-degree description of somewhere, but where? Mick, you start. Well, I'm standing in the middle of a square next to a bronze monument to a 19th-century poet. Um, To the south, sort of opposite me, is an unusual, a very unusual bridge, and rising up uh, in the background, a wooded hill with a castle on top of it. Mm. And then behind me, on the north side of the square, a very pink large church, the Franciscan Church of the Annunciation. And then on my right side, uh, the west side of the square, a most beautiful Art Deco house, shaped like a wedge of cheese, with an extremely bizarre decorated flat roof which projects out um, above the sides of the house, and uh, and an incredibly beautifully green-tiled upper storey. You have to guess which city this is in, and uh, maybe even guess the name of the square. Well, I believe that you are in Prague. Is that uh, is that halfway there? If not, I've got plenty of other Central European capitals up my sleeve. Uh, well, it's halfway there, but it's not correct. Ah, okay. Well, let me try Budapest, if I may. Then no. Let me give you a yeah. clue at this point. The bridge yeah. in question is actually a triple bridge. It is unique. Oh, okay. So I'm in Porto then, in uh, in in beautiful Portugal. Am no. I- no, you're not. Um, uh, no, you're not. I'll put you out of your misery. Um, yes, please do. That's uh, that's definitely what yeah, I need. Yeah. Well, this is actually um, in Ljubljana, ah, um, the, uh, Slovenia, course, and yes. it's the, yeah. the square is the um, Perezhian Square, um, which is named after the great 19th century poet Franz Perezhian. Well, I think I'm going to take away from that the fact that. All Central European capitals could all be answered. Uh, could all be answers to that question. I think he, certainly even Belgrade and um, Zagreb might might make a, a, a but probably not uh, Vienna. There we are. Um, oh, and definitely uh, Bratislava. So so okay. Um, nul point. Now it's my turn, and I've been out and about for you. I'm on a bridge over a river. There are skyscrapers well particularly in one direction and let me give you a couple of hints about specifics that i can see a quite low rise building but with a very distinctive turret which seems to be spelling something out and 180 degrees away from that there's a grand and fairly central station. So Mick, where am I? 
a bridge, an, an iconic railway station, um, building with um, words on it. I, I actually really don't know. Let me take a wild guess. Um, Singapore. I'm afraid, Mick, you're wrong. Um, by about 6,800 miles, I'm <laughs> in London on Waterloo Bridge. And to be fair... Um, I could well have mentioned, for example, um, Big Ben, uh, the London Eye, the Shard, but I didn't just to um, make it a little bit more challenging. The building with um, letters on it is the Oxo Tower. Um, oh, and right. the I, I said the station was grand and central. I didn't actually say iconic, but it's Charing Cross Station, which is the only really central London railway station. Well, I'm humbled by that, but neither of us scores anything for it. So uh, that's OK. Round two, borders, uh, frontiers. Do you want to start? I do, and I hope this will qualify as a, a reasonable borders or frontiers question. Mick, there are two double landlocked countries in the world. Which are they? And um, Double landlocked, of course, means that they are uh, enclosed entirely by landlocked countries themselves. <laughs> I suppose I'll give you that. Um, I think Kazakhstan might be one. Mm, it might be one, but you're close. But no, no, uh, no, Kazakh cigar for you. Do you want to? Um, do you want to go? I don't know. A little bit um, uh, south and a little bit west. Oh, it must be um, uh, Uzbekistan. Uh, correct. Yes, which is a vast country to be doubled landlocked. And I'll even give you a little extra clue, which is that the other one is very, very small. Um, that's probably something like. Um, Liechtenstein. My goodness me! I, yeah, that's uh, that's very very good. Yes, exactly. It is um, oh. surrounded, of course, by uh, only Switzerland and Austria, both of which are very landlocked themselves. I'll take one for that, and then I'll um, ask you your question on borders. The two countries which have borders with the most other countries are Russia and China, fourteen mm -hmm. apiece. Uh, then there comes Brazil with ten. And in fourth place in this uh, odd geographical competition are two countries. One of them's Germany. Can you tell me what the other one is? They have nine countries bordering them. I'm going to go for France. And I'm going to say that because obviously you've got um, Belgium, Luxembourg, uh, Germany, Switzerland, Spain, Andorra. But you've also then got um, the frontier in Saint-Martin, and in uh, Guyane, French Guiana. Oh, I'm sorry, though, that you're not going to get those, though, because those don't okay. count. I mean, we're talking about. So I'm afraid, uh, good try. I think France actually has eight. Um, but the one I'm thinking of is the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. Oh. Um, it's called Zaire. And I think prior to that, probably the Belgian Congo. But um, uh, do you want to try any of the countries or shall I just tell you? Uh, see how many you can get. Okay, so Brazzaville, Congo, as it's normally called, the one across the uh, river. Um, yeah. I'm going to go for Sudan because that's so vast, but I may well be wrong. Uh, yeah, South Sudan. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. well, a bit of Uganda, a bit of Rwanda. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Um, oh, gosh. No, go on, give me the rest because otherwise I'm just going to be... Uh, Burundi, Tanzania, oh. Zambia, Angola, and the Central African Republic. Oh, so, there we Lovely go. Lovely question. Um, 
Yes, well, thank you very much. Um, a um, moderately attractive answer. Uh, so on we go to... Um... That can only mean it's round three great railway journeys. Yes, it does. And uh, let me kick this one off. This is a spectacular train ride, which I would love to do, but haven't done so far. Takes you across mountains, across a huge and wonderful lake. It is a marvel of engineering with 254 tunnels, 435 bridges. And that's all on a 300 mile journey, which will take you 11 hours. It runs between two places, beginning with B. One a capital city, one a port. Oh, okay. I was um, very much going for the uh, Copper Canyon Railway, which uh, begins in Chihuahua and ends somewhere whose name I can't remember, uh, down on the Pacific. Um, So I'm still thinking Latin America. Shall I suggest you actually move towards Europe? Okay, thank you very much. Towards Europe, maybe even into Europe. So I'm now on the um, uh, capitals in in Britain beginning in Europe beginning with B. Um, you could possibly call it the vanity project of a of a former great leader. Ah, ah, oh, sorry, the back aisle. No, not the back aisle. Amour. That was um, uh, the vanity project of, of of Stalin. Mick, I'm going to throw in the towel on this one. Well, it's actually it's well, it was the blue train of um, Tito. <laughs> and it goes yeah. from Belgrade, the capital of Serbia, to the port town of Bar in Montenegro. And it really does look absolutely lovely. And you can get a very good idea of what it's like. And also some very, very useful information about uh, when it runs and how to book yourself on it on the website of um, The Man in Seat 61, which will put on our website and i hope the man in seat 61 guru of all things to do with railway journeys uh won't mind if i actually play a little bit of the train rattling its way quite slowly across a viaduct mick hats off to you here's my attempt and it's something that I wrote actually in December um, so very recently these brief days and afternoon train can be an unexpected joy the setting sun to the west is anointing the late autumnal hillsides of the north downs trim green meadows are embroidered by trees of fiery gold and to help you further um, there's a much more noted writer George Orwell who called it probably the sleekest landscape in the world. It's difficult when you pass that way, especially when you are peacefully recovering from seasickness with the plush cushions of a boat train carriage under your bum to believe that anything is really happening elsewhere. A boat train should certainly give it away, as should the North Downs. Uh, I, I suppose it's the train from, is it Dover up to London? Or is it in fact from... Uh, New Haven to uh, that goes through the North Downs. I'll go from New Haven to Victoria. Oh, I'm so sorry, Mick. You were right the first time round. Um, this was actually going. It's the sort of classic line from Charing Cross, as mentioned earlier, um, through to uh, um, well, 
Ashford and Dover, a wonderful journey, but actually any of those which cuts through the North Downs. This is particularly memorable because although there are tunnels, you do actually get a really good kind of uh, lateral view of the North Downs. So I strongly recommend it. Well, thank you very much. And uh, dear me, we're not uh, doing very well, are we? Uh... Well, this is round four and it is weird brews. Well, Simon, do you want to start with a weird brew and see if I can get it? Yes, let me tell you that this one, um, which I have certainly sampled, tastes like three-week-old washing up water. It numbs your tongue and your lips, uh, very much um, an acquired taste. But of course, it's a cultural experience in the part of the world um, where it is served up, which is actually the South Pacific. Um, It's uh, created by drying and crushing the roots of the plant that gives it its name. And of course, inevitably, you cannot ever decline an offer of it um, in case you offend your hosts. And I'm going to give you a bit of a bit of a clue here, Mick, which is that there's a there's a sparkling Spanish drink which sounds remarkably similar. Yes, it's Sava. Ah. Carver. Yeah, Carver no? is the one, K-A-V-A, and I enjoy yeah, it. Oh, it is pronounced Carver, yeah, is it, yeah. rather than Sava. I, I, I yeah. thought it was C-A-V-A. I thought it was the same spelling. Well, that is um, very good. Um, you've given me quite a lot of help there, but um, uh, and it does sound absolutely horrible, but I will try it um, <laughs> the next time I'm uh, down the South Pacific way. Um, okay, here's my one. Um this has certain similarities. Um, it's disgusting and weirdly refreshing in equal measure. And I sort of, it's a kind of beer, really, mm. but um, a description of it might be milky, thick, sour, viscous, various things that we're not allowed to mention um, on this podcast <laughs> have been compared to it. Um, it's a very ancient drink. Um, it was supposed to cure everything, it was the drink of the gods according to the priests um and it has made a bit of a comeback uh, in its country of origin i'm going to give it a guess mick i'm going to say kvass which i believe is fermented mare's milk very popular in central asia well cracking guess but um not at all correct <laughs> um, and it's probably very similar actually in flavor this is pulque uh, from uh sunny mexico oh. Right, tell and me it's, more. It's actually, it's made from the um, uh, maguey cactus, which is the one that also gives us uh, mezcal. These days, you can actually drink the um, original, or you can get a, a sort of a sanitized version of it, really, with fruit and grains and a bit of kind of nice flavor added, which is called curado. And um, it's quite popular, I believe, in some of the uh, the bars of Mexico City, although it is actually um, best drunk in Oaxaca. Ah. Well, Mick, cheers. Um, I imagine it's not quite as alcoholic as mezcal. No, not at all. It's really a, a, a kind of beer, sort of 2 to 4% as against mezcal, which I imagine is about 99 <laughs> But uh, um, let's get on, though, too. Round five, holiday destinations in the news for non-travel reasons. Go ahead, Mick. Guess where this place is. And, indeed, why it was in the news. 
With a palm-fringed artificial lagoon at its centrepiece, this 212-room hotel recalls the palace of a Minoan prince. It's a sparkling boutique resort for the privileged and perceptive. That's in the words of the uh, uh, hotel publicity. (laughs) And um, uh, 58 of its um, minimalist rooms have uh, private pools. (laughs) And you can enjoy all sorts of uh, spa treatments uh, and uh, very um, extravagant restaurants where you actually have to dress up to eat. Anyway, um, this was in the news August before last, if that gives you a bit of a clue. Well, okay, I'm going to hazard a guess, um, only because of the Minoan connection, and say this is probably on the island of Crete, or possibly Santorini. Oh, I'll I'll stop at Crete. And I'm going to say down the um, eastern end, north north coast, um, Elunda, only because that is one of the loveliest places I know in that beautiful island. Um, But I've no idea what the story was. Well, it is actually the Amirandes Resort Hotel, as you say, on the east coast of Crete. And it was in the news for um, political reasons at the time of the botched attempt to get people out of um, Afghanistan after the Taliban uh, took over. And uh, and our foreign secretary at the time, Dominic Raab, <laughs> was on holiday at this place and seemed to take quite a few days to get off his sun lounger and um, get back and um, deal with the crisis, uh, for which he got a serious roasting from um, from the press. But he is still, of course, our glorious Deputy Prime Minister, and um, uh, I'm sure there is <coughs> no better candidate. Of course not. Well, for mine, I'm simply going to say it um, includes both the most beautiful city on the Black Sea, which I'm going to ask you to name, and also uh, the leading tourist attraction gets glowing reviews. Well, I think the city on the Black Sea is... Um, um, Odessa and uh, uh, and obviously the destination as a whole is poor old Ukraine, which I don't think many people are visiting for um, reasons of touristic travel at the moment. And um, is it Kiev? I, I don't know the other place. No, the the uh, leading tourist attraction, or at least it was until. Um, the end of uh, 2019, when of course we went into COVID and everything else, um, Chernobyl, oh, good the um, site of the nuclear disaster, now turned into the most compelling tourist attraction. So I urge you to get back there um, as soon as you decently can. And uh, yes, I don't expect any points for explaining why um, Ukraine is in the news. May it be out of it very soon. Here, here. Round six, airports. You begin, Simon. On Christmas Day, which airport in the Caucasus had not one, but two Qantas Airbus A380 Super Jumbo Jets and why? (laughs) Oh, no. The Caucasus. Um, Ah, wait a minute. Is it Georgia? Well, Georgia is certainly in the Caucasus. But but it's um, not Georgia. uh, Georgia does play a part in this story, but it's not in Georgia. Azerbaijan. Uh, yes, very good. But I'm going to have to hurry you on which oh, airport. What's the capital? Baku? Yes, absolutely. Um, but can you tell me why or shall no, I tell you? No, go on, you tell me. Okay, so on the 23rd of uh, December, uh, Qantas Flight 1, the flagship route, Sydney to Singapore to London, was flying over central Georgia 
when it developed a fault and they needed to land very quickly. They couldn't land at Tbilisi because they wouldn't be able to to um, uh, look after the planes there, handle the passengers. Uh, the nearest obvious airport was Sochi, but that's in Russia, so they couldn't divert there. So they flew back 400 miles to Baku, landed there, plane still broken, Qantas had to fly an empty Airbus A380 all the way from Sydney in order to pick up the passengers and take them on to London. And so therefore, briefly in the early hours of Christmas Day morning, a plane spotter would have thought it was Christmas, as indeed it was but the sight of two Australian super jumbo jets in the middle of the Caucasus on the brink of the Caspian Sea. I bet someone got a... Uh very profitable photograph out of that lot. Um, but, uh, well, my one, uh, my airport, is not one most of us will ever be able to fly to. Um, but it is, I think, the highest, it's the one with the highest tarmac runway in Europe. Um, and it's, um, it's classified in the top 10 of most extreme, i.e. difficult airports to land at in the world. It's got a ridiculously short runway, 537 uh, metres. It is, uh, as I said, very high. And the weirdest thing about it um, is that it's um, on a 20 degree slope. I I, I was going to say Sion in Switzerland, S-I-O-N. Not far off. um, that's my best bet. So go on then. Well, it's Courchevel in the uh, in the French ah. Alps. There used to be regular flights to it in uh, Dash Seven planes, but I'm not sure now uh, whether you can only get to it in, by helicopter or some very small executive jet. But let's face it, most of us, if we can afford to go skiing and want to go skiing, are quite happy to go to uh, Annecy or somewhere by train and then um, and then get a transfer by uh, by road up into the mountains. But obviously, um, if money is no object and uh, time is worth even more to you than um, than money, then uh, you could well end up uh, flying to Courchevel um, and sort of landing pretty well amongst the skiers. It's a it's an astonishing. Site. <laughs> well, I can't can't wait for that. Yes, thank you. Uh, so, another one for you. Oh well, possibly yes. Round seven. What happens next? And this involves an excerpt from a travel book. Uh, yes, I have here um, a book called The Travels of Marco Polo about his Mm. extraordinary travels um, to the east uh, and through the Middle East um, in the uh, 13th century. So that's a thousand years ago, uh, if I got my maths right. And uh, this extract um, is about... an experiment, I suppose we could call it, that was conducted by the King of Kerman, K-E-R-M-K-E-R-M-A-N. The king said to the sages who were assembled in his presence, gentlemen, there is something that puzzles me because I cannot account for it. How is it that the kingdoms of Persia, which are such near neighbours of ours, has folk so unruly and contentious that they are forever killing one another. Whereas amongst ourselves, who are all but the same as them, there is hardly an instance of provocation or brawling. And the sages answered him by saying this was all due to a difference in the soil. So the king thereupon sent to Persia, and in particular to Isfahan, whose inhabitants 
outdid the rest in every sort of villainy. I'm going to put in allegedly there just to protect us <laughs> from, uh, from their lawyers. And there, on the advice of his sages, he had seven ships loaded with earth brought to his own kingdom. This earth he ordered to be spread out like pitch over the floors of certain rooms and then covered with carpets so that those who entered should not be dirtied by the soft surface. Then a banquet was served in these rooms. Mm. Guess what happened next? Uh, I'm going to say somebody died, maybe more than one person, and I'm going to suggest that poison was involved, possibly administered deliberately, possibly accidentally. Well, that's that's sort of not bad, but it's not actually true. A (laughs) banquet was served in these rooms at which the guests had no sooner partaken of the food then one began to round on another mm. with appropriate <laughs> words and actions that soon led to blows so the king agreed that the cause of the differences between the two peoples did indeed lie in the soil <laughs> right for yours i'm going to go back to um george orwell same book homage to catalonia which is basically a war uh, memoir which suddenly turns into marvelous travel writing once he's back on british soil i want to know what he's worried about happening next the barges on the miry river the familiar streets the posters telling of cricket matches and royal weddings the men in bowler hats the pigeons in trafalgar square the red buses the blue policemen all sleeping the deep deep sleep of england from which I sometimes fear we shall never wake till... We shall never wake until a socialist government with the needs of the people at its heart is elected. Uh, sadly not. <laughs> we are jerked out of it by the roar of bombs. Um, uh, of course, he was writing in the uh, late 30s. So Yes. Oh, dear. Yes, yes. Oh, very good. Well, you certainly caught me out with that one. Well, look, it's time for our last one. Round eight, rivers. Let me give you the most German of rivers, Mick, transiting the country from southeast to northwest. Southeast to northwest, the Elbe. Oh, yes. Very good. Rises, of course, in the Czech Republic, flows in and then goes all the way through dreamy landscapes and emerges um, uh, downstream from Hamburg. Wonderful river. Yes, I have actually been to the Elbe down near Dresden and uh, watched um, a rowing race between two, um, I suppose they were eights. There might have been more, actually. Um, And instead of a cox shouting things sitting in the back, they had drummers beating the rhythm. And uh, what a great sight and sound it was. I would urge you to go there and follow the whole course from the Czech border all the way downstream, probably to where the former East Germany runs out. It just takes you through the most magical towns and landscapes. I couldn't agree more. Now, my river is um, one of the shortest rivers in the (laughs) world. It's called the Correntoso, and it's between two and 300 metres in length, depending on um, the height of the water in these two surrounding lakes. Basically, it runs between two lakes, Correntoso, uh, lake and Nahual Wapi. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a brilliant place to go for catching trout. I would like to ask you where you think the closest town is to the uh, river Correntos. I think we are looking at Mexico here. 
And I'm just going to pluck a town out of nowhere. I'm just going to say Oaxaca because you mentioned it earlier. No, it's not. I'm afraid it's it's um, quite a long way further to the south. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, somewhere in the uh, in the uh, in Argentina then. And I'm not going to say Mendoza. I'm going to say um, uh, Puerto Madryn. Well, uh, in Patagonia, no, it's actually the Lake District, high in the Andes, <laughs> um, and uh, and the nearest town is Villa La Angostura, mm. and I do know that this is the case because I once got a bus. Oh. There are uh, there's one every two hours which goes from the bus station in Villa La Angostura, which is a very pretty little um, mountain um, town, <laughs> very close to um, San Carlos de Bariloche. So that's where you'd have to fly to or get a bus to. Or on your way there. And I actually have um, a photograph of a sign beside the river saying, Rio Correntoso, <laughs> el más corto del mundo. The River Correntoso, the shortest one in the world, which I think is seriously disputed by uh, several other, even shorter rivers. Well, Mick, I must say, I don't think the uh, result of the quiz is going to be um, heatedly uh, disputed by anybody. Um, and all I can say is, what, what was the name of the town again? Uh, Villa La Angostura. Well, Villa not, La Angostura. Well, I, I'm not feeling Angostura bitter about it. Sorry. There we are. I don't even get a bonus point for that. Um, do you do you have any idea of the score? And my, um, my very good tie break isn't, um, isn't, isn't going to come into play. Though I think I actually probably won 2-0, as Crystal Palace did yesterday against a rather sorry Bournemouth side. As always, we welcome your suggestions for fascinating borders, great railway journeys, weird brews and so on. You can tweet us at you should have BT, or you can leave a message for us at anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there next week. The place to be in 23. That's 2023, of course. But for now, from me, Simon Calder. And from me, Mick Webb. Goodbye. Goodbye and Happy New Year.